The first reading is Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2, and that can be found on page 533 of the Church Bibles. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The second reading is Romans 8, verse 18 to 25, and that can be found on page 1071 of the Church Bibles. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what has for what they ha- already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Linda is going to come and reflect on those words for us this morning. So let's pray for Linda as she prepares to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life it breathes into us. We thank you for the words of challenge and comfort we find within it. And we pray as we start this series on stewardship that you would move our hearts and minds so that we might take on board uh, what we find to be true in your word. And so we pray now, Lord, come by your spirit and bless Linda as she speaks to us. May her words be conveyed into our hearts and minds so that we may continue to grow into your image. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So on this Harvest Sunday, it's a good opportunity to think about the planet that we live on and our attitude to it. Sometimes referred to as the blue marble, and you can see why, from this photograph, which we didn't have until the 1960s or 70s when it was taken from space. But we can see how small and how fragile, in a sense, in the greatness of the universe, this little planet is. It's an amazing planet. It's incredibly beautiful, it's incredibly complex, And it's incredibly delicate. And we are increasingly aware that there's a major question mark hanging over the future of planet Earth. And it's an issue, sadly, that arises out of the very existence of our own human species, all 7.3 billion of us. And it's a sobering experience if you click or Google Um, you know, the current world population, you can actually watch the numbers rising. And you can see the imbalance between the numbers who are being born into our world and those who are leaving our world. 
And it's not surprising that predictions of future population are increasingly worrying. But it's not just that there are many of us, it's the way we use the planets that we inhabit. And if we're going to face the challenges of the future with any trust and hopefulness, then we're going to have to ask ourselves an important question. Whose world is it anyway? And understanding the answer to that question and responding appropriately may well hold the key to the survival of human life on this little blue marble. And indeed the whole of creation, for creation extends beyond planet Earth. And it's going to be important, I think, for the Christian church, for Christ's body here on this little blue marble, to be able to bring a message of hope in the midst and in the face of what are increasingly attitudes of despair or complacency. So our task this morning is going to be to reflect theologically on some answers to the question, so whose world is it anyway? Exploring together what the Bible has to teach us about how we should think, how we should behave, and how we can bring hope to our world, a world that's either unconcerned or growingly fearful about the future. Well, first of all, the Bible explains that the earth is our home. It's clear that this earth is the place that God made us to inhabit to spend our lives here. And if you go back to the early chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we should note that the first human is named Adam, which is related to the Hebrew word for soil or ground or earth, Adama. The Bible confirms that human beings are earthlings in the fullest sense of the word, made from dust, carbon-based life forms. We're part of this planet and we're made of the same stuff as everything else. We belong to the earth. From dust we come and to dust we shall return. The earth is our home, the place where we belong, where we were designed to live and where we should thrive. And interestingly, the Greek word for home, oikos, is also the root word for two words that we hear a lot in our current society, ecology and economy. The science of ecology is about housekeeping or home management, about protecting and preserving the complicated web of relationships that make our earthly home function as it was designed to do. And economics should be about home economics, carefully managing the limited resources of our home planet in a sustainable way. So the earth is our home, a place where we belong, a place we need to treat wisely and responsibly if it is to remain a safe and nurturing place where we and others can thrive. But that's not all the Bible has to say on the matter. As we know already, we click forward to the next slide. Can somebody do that for me? Yeah, thank you. The earth is the Lord's. And our psalm verses from Psalm 24 remind us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This planet does not belong to us even though we are invited to live on it. It belongs to God. 
And it does so because first and foremost, God created it. And looking at what we have here, created by all of you, we get a sense and understanding of the fun that God must have had, I believe, in creating a world that was so diverse, so beautiful, so interconnected. He made it, amazingly, out of nothing. We had to start with Play-Doh. But God made this world that we so easily take for granted out of nothing. In fact, he made it out of chaos. So it is his by ownership and right. But that wasn't the end of the story. God made the earth and all of creation. And he continues to look after it. He isn't the sort of artist who makes something and then sets it aside and moves on to the next project. God continues to care for this world, for every mountain, every forest, for every bird and animal, for the changing of the seasons and the ebb and flow of the tides. And if you want to read a beautiful and moving account of God as creator and sustainer, go to, surprisingly, the book of Job. And you'll find in chapters 38 to 41, the voice of God describing the creation that he has made and that he continues to care for in love and to engage with in relationship. Read that passage for its poetic beauty, but also for the way that it positions us as humankind in relation to an almighty, all-knowing, all-loving Father God. For the lesson that Job learned from his conversation with God is one that we too need to learn for ourselves in this age. So God made the earth. God cares for the earth. But who did he make it for? Max, could you move it on, please? Thank you. If we turn to the New Testament to Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, then we'd read that God made this world not for human beings in the first place, but for Jesus. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. So this planet exists because the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit created it out of nothing as a gift of love within the Trinity. It was made for Christ. And all that this world contains, the land that produces fertile crops, the seas full of marine life, the forests bursting with biodiversity, and all the material resources, the oil and the gas, the minerals and gemstones, were all created not for you and for me, but for God, for Jesus, his son. They were created by and for Jesus Christ. And scripture states over and over again, that God retains his ownership rights over this world. But if we look around at the state of the planet today, we can see how we've ignored the fact that this is God's world. We've treated it too easily with devastating consequences as our world, the natural resources that are ours to exploit, just as we wish, rather than as a natural treasure that God chose to share and delight with us in. So if the earth is God's and not ours, how do we relate to it in a way that properly recognises 
God's ownership? Well, the best answer is first of all to understand that the earth is on loan to us from God. There's a sense in which God gave us this world, not to use and abuse, but as a precious gift on loan. And in recent months, we've been considering the story of the people of Israel and how they were called by God to inhabit a promised land. It's a story that we ought to take note of and can help us here. Because you might think that if there were ever a case of people owning land, it was surely God's chosen people in their promised land. But God tells them quite clearly that he has gifted them the land and that they are but aliens and tenants within his land. In other words, they and we too, for that matter, are not owners of this earth outright. We have it on loan from God. It's ours to use, to enjoy, but also to protect and care for on behalf of the true owner. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus often using the illustration of a landowner who leaves his estate or his vineyard in the hands of tenant farmers, stewards. Their stewardship is about how they care for the landowner's estate on his behalf. And in the stories that Jesus tells, they don't do a very good job. And that's us, you and me. So we are called to be responsible stewards of planet Earth, using it well and wisely. And we're answerable to God as owner for how we treat the property he has entrusted to our care. And when the day comes when you stand before God and he asks you, how did you like my planet, my creation? And how did you look after it? this place that I created in love. What will we say? So finally, caring for the earth, next slide, Max, please, is part of our worship and our witness. If the primary purpose of human existence is to worship God and enjoy him forever, then we need to remember that caring for God's precious planet that he cares for too, that he made for Christ, is part of our daily worship. And we're called to worship God both in our attitudes and our actions where creation is concerned. If we went back to Genesis chapter 1, we'd see the very first instructions given to human beings. Our very mandate for human existence is about taking on a role and responsibility for caring for the earth and its creatures. And I wonder if this is one aspect of what it means for us to be made in the image of God, to have that loving, caring relationship with all that he has made. We often fail to be good stewards of God's earth, as we recognized in our prayers of confession. But through Jesus Christ the Lord of all creation, we have the chance to make a new start. And in our passage from Romans 8 this morning, St. Paul uses the image of creation being a bit like a woman in labour, 
groaning in longing to be set free from its current state of pain and suffering in order that a new life may be released and embarked upon. But if you look closely at that passage, you also see that creation is waiting for something else. It is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Other translations speak of the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So what does that mean? Well, I wonder if it's a reference back to Genesis, to God's first mandate to human beings, Adam and Eve, to care for his creation. Through the example and saving work of Jesus, the fulfillment of that original mandate now becomes possible in a new way. And creation is expectantly waiting for God's children, those who follow Jesus, including each person here in this room and every child or young person linked with this congregation to take up that call. Creation is waiting for us to worship God by caring for this fragile and wonderful world, by living more lightly, by living less selfishly, And just as Adam and Eve did in Genesis, each of us has a crucial role to play in liberating creation from its current bondage to decay and enabling God's glory to be made manifest. There is hope for the planet. It is in God's design. The means are there, but if we do not, as sons and daughters, play our part in making that a reality, then we are failing Today, we're ever more aware of the fragility of this earth that we call home. But as Christians, we also live in an age where God's church, Christ's body here on earth, is perhaps more challenged than ever before to God's call on us to serve as good and faithful stewards of his creation. And thankfully, the Christian church has a deeper and a more balanced biblical understanding of the importance of creation care and worshipful stewardship than in some centuries gone by. Many Christians are finally waking up to to God's challenge to envisage the earthing of heaven. In other words, the promotion of God's kingdom rule on earth, not just in our churches, not just in our human societies, but throughout the whole of creation. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to worshipful action, both individually and as a body. And there are plenty of contemporary initiatives which can both inspire and challenge and encourage us, as well as accessible resources that we can draw on to help us in our creation stewardship. Matthew used some material from the Arosha organisation. Max, if you move on to the next slide. We should be praying and supporting an organisation like Arosha. It's a Christian based organisation, now working only since 1983 in 20 countries around the world. It's one example of how Christians have found ways of engaging positively in this area over the last generation. And I would encourage you to look at the section on their website entitled Living Lightly. If we look at the next slide, you'll see the uh, web link. Thanks, Max. No, there should be one before that. The bullet point in the middle. 
which gives useful practical advice on a wide range of stewardship uh, aspects and creation care. And if you're wondering about the... the, um, Some of you might recognise the photo in the middle. There used to be an allotment at the back here. So there is a history in this church of caring about creation, and perhaps that's something we can build on. Because the church is called to be a community that worships God, valuing and celebrating all that God has created. And when that creation is devalued and desecrated, surely the church needs to shine even more brightly as a beacon in that darkness. So I wonder, how far are we at Camborne Church offering that beacon of hope for our planet? Or are we still sons and daughters of God waiting to be revealed? Amen.